Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, we have a very special guest in the studio. Our guest is Sam J. She's been doing stand-up for the last seven years, but 2018 is the year her career absolutely exploded. She got a job writing for Saturday Night Live. She released a half-hour TV special on Comedy Central. She was on Netflix's The Comedy Lineup, which is when I first became a fan. <laughs> I loved that set so much. And she put out a comedy album called Donna's Daughter. And she just sped over here to the studio from writing for the Emmys uh, to chat with us. Thank you so much for coming on Pop-Tarts. Thank you for having me. And look at you. You're looking like a baby face, huh? No sleep. Grind all night. Grind all day. La frustra e il corpo. No shade, but semi-shade. Don't be that fucking guy. You know what I mean? So how does it feel, Sam, to become an overnight success after seven years of hard work? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I'm just in a place where I'm just really excited. Things seem to be coming together. And uh, it feels good. I mean, honestly, it just feels really, really good. But also a little nerve wracking. It's a lot, a lot of plates spinning at once. And do you feel supported by the comedy community that you've been working in, or are they super jelly, or both? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I feel like, uh, of course, it's probably jealous people, but I, I don't I don't feel that. I'm not getting any of that energy. And I think overall, uh, comedy's a big, small thing, you know? So once you're kind of at a certain level with it, everyone knows each other, and I think everyone, for the most part, wants to see people win because then it means that they could win, you know? Yeah. So Saturday Night Live has a rep for being a show dominated by straight white men. But <laughs> the fact that you are there in the writer's room as a gay black woman indicates that more voices are finally getting a chance over there. What has your experience been so far? Uh, I mean, it's a very supportive environment, and it's not as... Uh, I've said this before in an interview, so I was trying to think of another word, but I can't think of another word. But it's not as, like, mad men as people try to make it out. You know what I mean? There's been uh, gay writers on the show for a very long time. Uh, there's gay head writers who have been there for a very long time. Julio Torres has been there. Kate McKinnon's there. Leslie Jones is there. You know, so it's not as restricted as people like to paint it out to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the the ideas are bringing it like, what? Lesbians? We've never heard of this. You know, it's not. <laughs> they're like hip to the shits. You know what I mean? But I feel like as a viewer, we, I haven't seen a lot of comedy writing from a lesbian perspective and before Kate McKinnon came on for example yeah I don't think there was a, there was it's very male it was very male dominated yeah. but I don't want to it wasn't very straight white male dominated and um I mean for sure there's there's no other black lesbian in the room you know what I mean so yeah for sure that's the case but uh I don't feel awkward or it doesn't feel like uh my opinions aren't valued or that I'm being harvested for them, you know? Yeah. It feels like they picked me because I was funny. Yeah. Right. But I, I think they absolutely did pick you because you're funny, because we've all seen you be funny in a variety of, of uh, projects. But is there a certain pressure or, I don't know, an onus being 
the only black lesbian in a room that you need to be representative of that one I just don't believe in that. I don't think about that at all. I don't even think about it in my comedy. I just try to be representative of me and, mm-hmm. and being representative to myself. I automatically represent gay black women because I'm a gay black woman. Like, right. there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. And you're going back for the new season in a month. Mm-hmm. And now that you know the ropes, do you have any hopes and plans for sketches that you'd like to cook up or guests that you really want to work with? I just think I'm feeling more confident overall and my hope is to get more stuff on this season than I got on last season. I feel like, you know, I kind of know my voice in that realm now. It's a little bit of a learning curve to kind of, you know, you can know your stand-up voice, but to learn who you are in sketch is something very different. Yeah. And I think I have way more of a grapple on who that person is. So I just want to write things that are more to my voice and I, and I want to get to a place where I'm putting things on the table and when you hear it, you go, oh, that's a Sam J sketch. She wrote it because there's so much of my identity in it and I mean, that's really my only hope for next season. You co-wrote uh, The Black Jeopardy, right? I wrote it with uh, Che and like Brian Tucker. That yes. is one of my favorite new sketches that they have. Yeah, there the whole last time. season was one of the best ones. Let's take a look at our categories. All right, we got grown ass. Oh, hell no. Fitna. Girl, bye. I ain't got it. And as always, white people. All right, Shanice, you're our returning champ. You pick. Okay, let's go to all hell now for a hundred. I've heard that the schedule there is like totally spirit busting, that it's just unlike any kind of work schedule that anyone's ever had in the history of time. Is that something that you're used to doing because you're also a road comic? Does it phase you or is it something Uh, to get used to? It's just, I mean, I'm up late anyway, so it doesn't really, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that, I think it's just really conducive for uh, creatives. You know what I mean? I'm up late. Most of my good ideas don't even start to spin around till sometime after 10 o'clock. You know what I mean? Like. Mm -hmm. You asked me to be funny at 9 a.m., I'd look at you yeah, like you were out your fucking mind. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, I just, just don't even have that in me. At she wanted to podcast in the morning once, and I was like, we could, but <laughs> right. I will be home. So I prefer it. It's like how I work. So. Are you vampiric? Are you totally yes, night? Yes, I am. And similar to Saturday Night Live, the stand-up comedy scene just as a whole also has a rep for being very white male-dominated space. What has your experience been like creating a career for yourself in that world? Is sexism ever an issue, or is it like totes what as? Such a weird thing. I mean, I've, I've definitely experienced things where I was like, oh, this is sexist, or this guy is speaking to me this way solely because I'm a woman, or this person is saying these things specifically because I'm a black person. But I also... um <sighs> I've always been black. <laughs> so it's like th- none of these experiences are new. So right. it doesn't really phase me in that way. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, you're a fucking idiot. And then I just like go do my thing. Do you ever ask like, are you being a dick to me because I'm black or because I'm a woman? Uh, no, I just kind of like if I feel a need to check it, I'll check it. For the most part, I don't because like my work checks it my success checks it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like when I get on stage and I'm like way funnier than you that checks it and then <laughs> yeah. now you know like don't do that right right so the me too movement times up movement has happened while you were working as a road comic do you see any difference at all in the way that your male colleagues treat you treat other women uh on the road in terms of stand-up comedy 
Uh, I mean, I think it made them more aware for sure. Uh, I think it's just overall people are having more of a, a consciousness about their behavior because people's behavior is being called out. You know what I mean? So I think it made them more aware some some to some degree more considerate because now they kind of feel like they have to be. Mm-hmm. When it comes to stand-up comedy, I always wonder, I predominantly, I enjoy stand-up comedy very much and I usually watch it on television. Um, I could watch it in live in New York, their stand-up comedy every day of the week, but I, first of all, I work. <laughs> but also I am afraid of being called out by a comedian because I'm a person of size and I don't want anybody talking to me from the stage for any reason so I watch it at home but I wonder oh, it do that you, makes me sad well I mean you see it happen all the time like if you mm. watch enough comedy you see like when people do crowd work they look for whoever looks different mm. in in the audience do you think that I'm missing an, a vital component of comedy oh, yeah. because I'm watching it at home for as sure. opposed to in the, cl- the club but sure I think I want to speak on that twofold one comics who do that are typically not good yeah uh. First That's of all. what I was just if thinking. If you have to lean on the crowd to make your jokes, then you didn't really come with jokes. The only time I'll even go in the audience is if someone is being combative with me in the audience. Right? Uh-huh. That is the only time I'll even because I didn't really come there yeah, to like I, I was like, banter Emily, or play with them. Heckle. I came there, yeah, with my own like right agenda of things I need to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that I, that really doesn't happen as often as people believe it does, um, and it's not a thing that's really good comics don't look upon that highly. Uh-huh. Uh, also, just it never feels as good as it feels in the room. It's just a very different experience. Are the do- jokes just funnier when the person's I mean, right in front of you? I mean, there's a thing about laughing with a group. Yeah. And when, you, when you're all laughing on the same accord at the same things. Mm-hmm. And, like, see, a TV taping is very uh, sterile in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, right? Whereas if I'm just at the cellar one night ripping it down you're gonna hear ad libs you wouldn't normally hear me say i might trail off and hit a tag you because now we're in this energy together sharing mm-hmm. it. it's just very different mm-hmm. yeah i was listening to your album and there was a lady that had the best laugh i think you were talking about uh nazis and white guys mm-hmm. and that's one lady had the best laugh she was just like ah! <laughs> <laughs> and her her laugh was that kind of infectious laugh when yeah. if you hear somebody with that kind of you should catchy ass laugh? Now makes I'm you like laugh more about you going to a live show. You have to do it. Yeah, I need to just get the fuck over myself, basically. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. just go, go out. and have a nice time. And also, like this is America, so there's like bad people of size. You won't be the only one in the room. <laughs> in New York, I feel like I'm the only. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be. Trust me. <laughs> Well, speaking of people being disruptive in the audience, you call out your friend Marcus on your album because he's being disruptive during your taping. How does he feel being immortalized <laughs> on your album for uh, being not the best friend in the front row? Um, he <laughs> just thinks it's fun. He's still my best friend. Like we've known each other <laughs> since my freshman year of high school. Oh, we are long time friends. So like, he's, so that made him feel like it was okay to be a chatty Kathy during I think your he set. He was just really excited for me, and he, um, <laughs> you know, he was just really excited for me, and just cute. was giving up. Also, he was drunk off of Hennessy. He had drank a lot mm. of Hennessy by that point. Is so, it the kind uh, infused he was just with living. cannabis or without? No, it's just regular. Just Hennessy. regs. And he just, uh, the Hennessy and the excitement got the best of him. <laughs> and um, 
I mean, I told him, but I don't even know if he's listened to it, but I let him know it, it, it was happening. I was like, that is all going on the album, bro, because that's just hilarious, you know? And, um. Best friends. Yeah, we're still best friends. That's you awesome. know, people are like, what's the relationship? Like, I'm like, that's still my best friend. That's so cute. What was the most disruptive thing that you ever encountered during a set, and how did you handle it? I mean, I don't know. Okay. Honestly, I think, um. Most people can behave. That's nice. For the most part, I've had, you know, like, because I do jokes for all my Trump's, you know, first nigga president, something like that. And I've had, oh, well, just recently when I was in Philly, this white guy said, yeah, he is a nigga. And I was like, all right, uh, dude. Oh. And I had to kind of, like, take a minute and be like, don't be that fucking guy. You know what I mean? Like, da 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 And then just kind of go back into what I'm doing. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I mean, but that's just, like, people yelling out shit. I don't really take that kind of stuff as personally as I guess some people do. Mm -hmm. I think people definitely are ignorant and just say shit, but I also think people at comedy shows try to get rises out of comedians because they think- Shake them up. That makes the show and they're, you know, some people come out to be the show. Yeah, I know that's so sad. It's like- Nobody came (laughs) out to see that person in the audience. Right, (laughs) right. And it's like, you know, sometimes I don't even, you know, some comics try to make everything a joke, but like with that guy, I was just like, you know, yeah. you just need to chill the fuck out, dude. Well, speaking of your Trump material, on the album you talk about how Trump is Tupac for white people. Um, first of all, can you elaborate on that? And second of all, what do you feel your place is in the resistance as a comedian during the era of Trump? Um, elaborate on that. Meaning, white. this is like white guys going straight hip hop wild ignorance it's like <laughs> there's they're so they're so spiraled that like they're like this energy this like bravado grab your dick spit in the camera energy is like charging them the hell up you know what i mean oh, like they, at the rallies and stuff yeah and they've never really had a, a representative like this that's just like i don't give a fuck i don't pay my taxes my bitch is bad turn up you know what I mean (laughs) like what you gonna do so in that regard that's what I meant as far as like he's the Tupac you know what I mean and um I mean I think comedy I don't know if it's I don't really look at things like resistance or not I look at things as phases in our country and we're at this phase and I think that comedy is just supposed to push the dialogue Uh uh-huh yeah I think that's my role, is to push the dialogue and to push the conversation and to have people thinking about different angles of the conversation. That's why as much on my album as I go like, white guys, not to da da da, I also go like, but we also gotta think about white guys and, and how we've structured things and done things to them because you can't have progress without bringing everyone along. So I think my job is to push the conversations, not to, and not necessarily to have the conversation that everyone is expecting me to have because that's easy. like. Everyone could just say Trump's bad, white guys are bad, 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 and everyone could just go, yep, we agree. But it's a little different to say, well, maybe you should think about this, or maybe you should think about that. Uh huh. I loved when you were talking about when your ex called the cops, and you would think that that would go one way, but you were like, well, I came down with no shoes on because I was, I thought that mm-hmm. I know how to answer the door to <laughs> cops and not get it. And you would think that you would get arrested because that's where we're at in America right, right. now. And you're like, I'm, I'm not playing into this. I'm gonna play the victim all the way. Right. 
And I was dying. I was like, <laughs> no shoes. I would never think about that. I want to talk about that some more because I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it because I felt so many ways. There is a big chunk of your set on your comedy album is about your recent divorce from your wife. Mm-hmm. And that... <laughs> was that was a lot of shit but i kept thinking about like there was a a point in the part where you're talking about where the cops come the cops are called because of an incident of domestic violence Mm -hmm. i can't imagine a straight male comic coming able to coming in there with jokes about domestic violence Mm -hmm. but yours was really funny and I was laughing and feeling like should I be laughing and can I be laughing well, I think it's because it wasn't a straight you didn't come at it as straight a victim or an abuser it was more of a we, the we situation that wild. and the fact that the cops were sort of bewildered to be answering a domestic violence call between women mm-hmm. like there was no obvious uh perpetrator or victim other than who got banged up the most right and it just it really made me think about the fact that there's so much domestic comedy out there. There's uh, marriage and divorce and problems in marriages are have been fodder in stand-up comedy forever, but not between women. Yeah, because there haven't been that there hasn't been gay marriage that long. So there hasn't been gay divorce for that long. So you're really on the cutting edge of something that is really a comedy mainstay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, for me, it's just like, that's what happened. And, and so much of my comedy is just what is going on with me. And it's very hard for me to not be honest yeah. when I'm up there about things that I'm feeling. You know what I mean? It feels uh, fraudulent. And so it was like I was going through that. And I had just gone through it. And I, I, I think funny things about things. You know what I mean? That's just how my brain works. Like, I laughed at my mom's funeral. Because there was something funny happened, and I was like, that's funny. You know what I mean? So even in dire situations or situations where people wouldn't necessarily think, oh, there's nothing to laugh about, I I just don't believe that. Maybe that's the, the diehard comic in me, but I'm like, we can always laugh at something. And also I figure like... Our condition is funny. The human condition is funny. Mm-hmm. I figure comedy is supposed to be there for when you're dealing with something that you don't know how to deal with. It's the relief. And that's why when people say rape jokes can't be funny, I don't fall into that camp. Right. Anytime you're dealing with some trauma, you can spin it to it, to make yourself feel better on it. And there's people that can talk about certain things. There's people that can't, can't. talk about certain things. And that's always been the it's condition the of humans, you know. And I know that I'm someone who kind of lives in a gray space where I get to talk about a lot of things that – People don't necessarily get to speak on, and therefore I think it's kind of a part of my duty as a stand-up to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I did a rape joke on my Netflix special, because it's like, well, we need to be discoursing about this, because this is a thing that women are going exactly. through and feeling. But I think the frame matters a lot, you yes. know? Mm-hmm. How you frame it, and, and I the think butt the, of the reason joke why all it, of that. it works, like... This woman came up to me in Madison over the weekend and she was like, I never thought I'd hear a rape joke that was funny. I didn't think it was comedically possible. And I was like, oh, that's such a great compliment. But I mean, I think the thing that makes it work is because I'm framing it in my fear. Yes. I'm not framing it and pointing a finger at a victim or making fun of it or saying, I'm framing it in, as a woman, these are my fears. These are the things that I have to think about, consider, and therefore this is fucked up that I have to think about this, but because I do, these are some of the things I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, agreed. When you uh, do your set, there is a lot about your ex, and you're in this this moment of 
huge momentum in your career where all those things that I mentioned are happening for you all at once. But really the bedrock of your set is about someone that you're very painfully separating from. So is there ever, is it, is it difficult to have your career so closely blended with something that you're trying to move past? Oh. Um, no, because it's, it's a part of who I am. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to move past it. Mm -hmm. It's just an experience I had that didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not super traumatized over it. And, um, I think it's a, it was a part of my life, you know, and it had its good and it had its bad and now it's over. Mm -hmm. You mentioned also just a, a little, a few minutes ago that you lost your mom. That was when you were a teen. Is that right? Yeah, I was 16. And you named your album Donna's Daughter. Mm-hmm. And so is is that sort of in a, a similar vein that there's trauma that we all experience and you have the rare ability to turn that into an art form that not many of us can? Is there truth to the idea that comedians have a background of of some kind of major trauma that puts them on the path to be comedic writers? Um, I guess some of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I know some comedians with really great lives that don't consider themselves to have any real major traumas, but of course, any art can be pushed by pain. Sure. That's totally true. I think it is the way you, you deal, you know? Like, I've always dealt and funny like I've always you know made people laugh even my mom would be sick in the hospital it was like always my goal to go there and make her laugh you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah. and be mm-hmm. silly and uh, you know I always kind of kind of a smart mouth that I was really witty and you know what I mean so like I I always felt pride in that that I could do that that I could make people laugh at things you know so I just think it's like just the thing you, you take to and it was just the thing I took to I always I watched comedy Ever since I can remember, I would watch the Cosby Show. I'd watch the Cosby stand-up special. I'd watch Eddie Murphy every day that I could. I would just watch his SNL, Best of SNL tape. We had a VHS tape, and I would just watch it over and over again. And I kind of always understood that a thing was happening, that it wasn't random, and they weren't just saying random things, that they were orchestrating something and and affecting people. I just kind of always got that and gravitated towards it. Does the fall of Bill Cosby impact you at all? I was just thinking that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's sad. You know what I mean? It's sad. But I'm at I'm I'm one of these people who I'm like, not necessarily separate the guy from the art, but I'm not gonna pretend I hate the Cosby Show now. It's just right. not true. I don't. Yeah. I, it was very funny. I can still watch it and laugh, even though I know every episode. It was a great piece of work, and it mattered, and it changed how people perceived black people. And it definitely had a huge impact on me as a young black kid to see a black family on TV that wasn't all good times out struggling Mm. and and failing every day. So like, I I can't pretend like none of that is true anymore because he did a bad thing. Got it. I think also that the, since there was such a distance between when Cosby show was on and then when the fallout happened, that it's much easier for me to be like, that was so long ago. I mean, I'm sure he was abusing people at that time, but in your mind, it has this pure slate behind it. Then when you look at a piece of art that just came out while someone's under accusation, you know, like, I cannot listen to a new Art Kelly. Do I still, right. like, double up? Yes. 
Right. But can I listen to new R. Kelly? No. Yeah, and that's basically where I'm at with Bill. It's like if he was like, I'm about to do Cosby Show too. I'd probably like, I can't really rock with you, Bill. Like, you did a lot of wild things, brother. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend the thing he made that I liked, I didn't like. That would be fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's still got its imprint in my mind from when I was yeah, watching it. Yeah, and I liked it. The yeah. truth of the matter is, I enjoyed it. But I won't give him pocket money now. Right. Know? That's right. why I still have double up on CD, and I don't <laughs> listen to it on the internet. CD. Look at you. Sam J, are you a feminist? No. Why not? Shook. 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 Oh. <laughs> In a sense, because I, I, don't, I don't understand any of this stuff sometimes. I am definitely pro-women and pro-women's rights because I'm a woman and I just I don't see how I could not be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But in this sense where I feel like a need to claim a thing, no. I will say that the textbook definition of feminism, which I return to again and again, is believing that women and men deserve the same rights in society. But I believe that everybody does. Yeah, well then, because you can believe all that, so you're still a feminist, and you're also, like, you could be more than one hat. Yeah, I mean, if you want to define it, I guess, sure. You can have five hats. But I'm just saying, like, I don't walk out in the world and identify as that, if I'm being honest. You're not going to wear the T-shirt. I'm not going to wear the T-shirt. If it was like, there's a feminist rally down the street, I wouldn't be like, I need to go to that because I am a feminist. No, I I don't feel drawn in that way. Okay. I'm not going to throw you out of the room. <laughs> I Personally, I just feel that that women who don't identify as feminists probably don't because of the baggage that the word has taken on over time. And it's also sometimes when you talk to women who are feminists, and I, I just strongly disagree with some of their ideals. I was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And this woman was talking to her friend, and she was talking about one of her friends, and she was she was like, it was all a group of women, so she assumed we were all going to agree, which already bothers me. I'm a bit of a contrarian, mm-hmm. and I don't like that in any setting. Don't mm-hmm. assume because we're all black we're going to have the same idea about something. Don't assume because we're, we're all gay. It just irritates me. But <laughs> she was sitting there, and she was seeing how her friend had got fired from her law firm for being pregnant and that how she's going to sue because they basically were like, well, you're pregnant, so you can't do the job and da 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 So I'm listening. I'm like, okay, well, that's messed up. But then she continues the story. She's like, well, the woman had gotten pregnant. The woman had had the child. And then a couple months later, I got pregnant again. So she had already got the leave. She had done whatever. And then after that leave, she came back to work. She was at work for a few months and got pregnant again. And then the law firm was like, well, hey, we kind of need someone that's going to be here and you're not going to be here. So we're going to have to find someone else. And she was like, well, that's, you know, wrong. And I was like, well, I don't know if I think that's 100%. One time, I understand. But at some point, they do need someone to do the job. Do they not? They're a business. They have to function and run. It is true. And at some point, you made a decision. You chose that you wanted to do this. Why do they have to carry the weight of your decision? So sometimes I'm like, "Ah, I don't know. But also, like you said, that you don't have to agree with everyone who's black or everyone that's gay. You don't have to believe that everything that a certain feminist says to also believe in feminism. Exactly. Because there's some people that will say stuff and I'm like, eh, I'm a bit looser than that. You know, like. Right. And it was kind of like men are bad and these men at this law firm are bad and they don't respect women. And I was just like, I don't know if that's necessarily where this is coming from or or are they just business people who need to run a business at some point it makes me wonder though 
for example, someone's helping her make that baby. She's not making it on her own. Like, if that person was a man, was that man getting the same static at his job because he just had a baby and then he but just had another one? they barely ever give men leave. leave. They won't even give, like, they, they won't never, give men leave. You got to really be get, in like, a nice a week spot. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably not even on on their radar or blip. That this so then the issue is paid family leave for 100%. everybody. Yeah. But that's kind of always where my mind goes, right? Right. right. The, let's deal with the issue and not attack Just the people. The right. Because that is the issue. Paid family leave for everybody. Proper systems for people who want to have children to be able to take care of their children. Because right. children have two parents. Right. And it but should there's be an also, issue for either one. Well, most children. But there's also like human responsibility, right? Like right. I have a career right now. If I decide to go have a baby, that career goes on pause. SNL will hire a new writer. Mm-hmm. Comedy specials will come out. I have to decide what is it that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like the Heat Cardi guy. So you have to make a decision. Now, if you're in a leadership position at your job, you have one baby and you know, oh, I want to have a second baby, they might have to move on without you. But there do you think choice. that Saturday Night Live should work with you if you want to have a kid and come back? No. No, I do not. Because are you. Because that show has to come on every Saturday. Right. <laughs> like, they have a responsibility to something, too, just as much as I have a responsibility to Like, something. I've thought about this before. If I ever have a kid, which eventually I want to with Camillo, there's only, what, six of us? If right, we I work go, in an office of six people. If I go on paid leave, they've never had, besides the boss, someone who's had a kid that's full staff. Like, what the fuck do you think will happen in the office? Do you think that there's going to be, like, yeah, take six months off? At Who the same the fuck time, do my job? can you work at a it. feminist magazine and not get paid leave? Well, since I've been there so long, I know rationally what the impact will be if I do. Right. That's what I'm saying. Rationally what the impact is. Right. Because the way we write, we write homogeneously. So now if I'm gone for six months, they got to slide someone in. They got to figure out a new camera. There's just things I'm gonna that have need to negotiate. To you know, I'd have to be like, I can come in maybe two times a week Something. and then Camilla will have to take off a couple of days. We'll have to figure out a plan because otherwise I don't expect them to keep my position and pay me when they can barely afford to just pay me. Right. Well, I've worked there for 17 years. This issue has never come up because they pay us so little that none of us can afford to have a kid. So we've never had (laughs) Well, that's the other way to go about it. Right? (laughs) Going back to the original question, I think it's important that we can have discussions like we're having about Mm -hmm. the paid family leave and other things and we can all still legitimately be feminists if we want to claim the title because we believe that we should be able to own property. We should be able to be paid the same Uh, wage as someone doing the same job. We should have equal rights and privileges in the society because literally we still do not. There is no equal rights amendment. There is nothing legislatively protecting us as a class. So I think that, uh, and in that regard, I'm a hundred percent a feminist. I think I'm wary about claiming it because, especially because I'm an artist, I don't want people to have expectations of what my art's supposed to do Mm -hmm. because now I'm a thing. And so now I'm always supposed to think a thing and always supposed to defend a thing. And I've always been wary of that as an artist. I I, I also say like, like, I don't want people to expect me to always defend black things. You know what I mean? Like I just want the freedom Mm -hmm. as an artist to be myself. I feel like the word feminist is sort of like Erica Badu's bag lady. Like, it's so bagged down with everybody's definition is a million bags on this one word 
when really it's just equality. You know, like people just weighing down the word. It extra always just shit. comes back to Erica Badu. Everything, <laughs> every fucking thing just does, Badu-ism. and everything should. <laughs> Shout outs, Badu will be at our anniversary party. That's right. Our <laughs> anniversary party is coming up on the twenty eighth, which is very soon. This is your last chance to grab tickets. Go to bust.com/party, and you can come there and be there in the same space as. The queen of Baduism herself. <laughs> but she'll be performing DJ duties as DJ Lowdown Loretta Brown. Yes. Oh, yay. But make no mistake, it is Erica Badu on the ones and twos. Bus.com slash party. Derailed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what's coming up for you? There's a million things happening in your life right now. I mentioned a few at the top of the show, but I just from speaking to you briefly before we started recording, there are a million other things. Tell me what's happening. Um, doing some writing, you know, uh, developing some projects. We'll see what happens. You never know with that kind of stuff. But it's always cool to just be able to see your ideas at least kind of doing a thing, you know. Some touring. Uh, hopefully Edinburgh. Oh, nice. Next summer. Um, some sleep somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, Do you um, sleep? Oh, yeah, I sleep. You do. I in sleep. the day. Yeah, I sleep during the day. <laughs> but I, I definitely get my sleep on. I'm not one of these, like, Sometimes no I feel sleep, bad. grind all night, <laughs> grind all day people. Like, I don't believe in that. You need naps. You need rest. Um, and I'm old, so I sleep. Uh, am I allowed to ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm not ashamed of my age. I am 36. I'll be 37 in January. That's look not old. Look a baby face. I know. You're looking like a baby face. Yeah, look at you. You're looking like a baby face, huh? <laughs> That's our Tommy room? Wiseau impression. <laughs> have you seen the room before? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would not guess that that's your age. That youthful star quality shines <laughs> through. Uh, before we let you go... We ask all of our esteemed guests the very, very important question: What, what you, you watching? Watchin'? And by what you watching, we mean TV, movies, music videos, books, podcasts, the writing on the bathroom wall, what's inside of your fortune cookie, any kind of popular culture that you are consuming. We want to know about it because we are pretty sure that it is cool. What am I watching? I watch a lot of trash reality TV. Nice. Yes. I'm very much into love and hip hop right now. Which one? LA. Okay. LA is on right now and it's wild stuff is going on. Um I watch Power cuz you know, I'm black. Power's on hold right um, now, right? No, it's on. Oh. I thought I read a headline that they were like going to do one of those split season things. Oh, maybe oh, then. I think I haven't watched in 2 weeks cuz I've been on the road. So oh. that could be true. Okay. I just saw uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And? It was really good. I'm a sucker for romantic uh, See, comedies. See, I, I want to watch it, but I don't like romantic comedies. So I'm like, uh, I want to watch it to support, but like, also I'm going to be love like, with Julia Roberts. Ooh. I'm just all over that kind of stuff. So it was great. I really liked it. Um, what am I listening to? Travis Scott's okay. new album. I listened to Nicki's new album. It's okay. It was all right. It was so, all right. It was better than I thought it was going to be. That first single, the uh, the one that, what is the- Chun-Li? No, no, the one that just Barbie came out. Barbie Things. No, the one that just came out when the album dropped, the uh, Ganja. Ganja, yeah. I don't know if I love that. That was so slow at the beginning. I the was intro, like, I the, can't the get, track. I can't even get into it. This is going to have to skip to the middle if yeah. I want anything in that. Hey, yo, as the world turns, the blunt burns. Mm-hmm. Getting at 
Listen, I love Kanye, so I'm always listening to Kanye. You're not in the contingent that it has canceled Kanye. What? Has? Because of the whole like slavery being a choice thing. You was there for 400 years and it's all of y'all? You know, like, it's like we're we're mentally in prison. <sighs> no. I think he, he just was not speaking no, clearly. It just, it's, it's, it's so aggravating. I'm like, you know, especially with Kanye, I feel like people just, he's he's always like, his mind just doesn't work like ours. He's not very right. good I at speaking. I think he didn't fully He's very good thought. at like speaking through his music, but he's not very good. Like history has shown interview after interview. He's not very good at articulating his points well. So it's like, I don't, duh, duh, slavery is not a choice. What he's saying is at some point black people have to stop victimizing or we won't be empowered. We have to stop saying, leaning on these things that happened to us in the past as if we can't control anything in our lives mm-hmm. or we will not be empowered is what mm-hmm. the hell he was Slavery saying. Slavery in your mind. Right. And and at some and point, state. accepting that, like, not that slavery is a choice, but like, yo, like, we can't always be the victims, bro. Because there's no power in that. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion... He just says stuff wrong. Right. I I understand that. I, But he, I think that he needs to understand that the world is watching when he's going off the cuff like that. And that was way off the cuff. How do you feel about nonverbal Kanye expressions like wearing slippers and socks to 2 Chainz wedding? Oh, my I God. Mean, I just, was just about to bring up why were they too small? 2 Chainz, too small. Too small. But um, I thought that was weird that they were too small. Yeah, but he I owns mean, that company. He's a fashion dude. He's going to do <laughs> weird fashion things. I thought they would have been cute and, and fluffy, but it's he was hanging out. That's yeah. like I try to wear some heels that are too but small. And I know what the fuck too. I look like. Oh, yeah. But he sucks. owns it. And he was just forcing it. Like, they probably Maybe. weren't even ready. And he was like, I'm weird. I'm going to wear it. He's being like a chick. Poofy you know, pillows. like girls sometimes we like, I don't care if these Claws hanging fit. off the tip. Yeah, they just cute. <laughs> and I'm going to do it. I think that's what happened. That's fair. Are you watching anything else? I'm still like a big TV person where I like to just flip the channels and just land on stuff. I don't like, you know, I still like to discover TV. I know people are all into like their algorithms and like yeah. curated TV. But I still like to just surf. And then be like, oh, I'm so you have regular TV. I have cable still because I like I like to I like to scroll around. Can you recall what the latest thing is that you stumbled upon that you enjoyed? I got caught up in a hoarders marathon. (laughs) Oh my god, that's her look. My luscious research assistant, who is a gentleman of color, likes to point out that the people of color who are hoarders hoard nice things, and the white people who are hoarders hoard diapers. That's why I didn't. Yeah, that's why I didn't say anything because all I could think about was the nasty ones, and they were all white. Because I was like, oh, the lady who was hoarding those cats, but she was a white lady. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The lady that was hoarding those rabbits was a white lady too. Yeah, yeah. Animal hoarders are something. That's else. Some weird. Yeah, it's like because the animals can't be happy, but they love right. animals. But it's so confusing because so they really love the animals so much. It's like, it's like a yeah, it's a disconnect. Brain. It's like a little bit of a delusion. Thank you so much for coming Thank on our you show. Guys. It's been lovely. It was really cool and chill. I appreciate your work so much. Thank you. I feel like the world is a funnier place because you're in it. Oh, that was very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> and hopefully, you got her to go to a live show. Let's go to a live show up. for sure. Live your best life. When we come back, I'm going to ask Callie, and she's going to ask me, what What you you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. 
If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. Hello. That was so fun talking to Sam J. Joy. She's a joy. Callie, what you watching? Well, it's been a minute since I missed last week. I know. We missed episode. your sweet face. So I have a little catching up to do over here. But um, I've done a lot of things that are somehow connected to Bruce Willis. Interesting. The roast, perhaps? Well, yes. I saw the roast, but the roast was after... Camilla made me watch Die Hard. I had never seen Die Hard. He convinced me by telling me it was a Christmas movie. About it is a Christmas movie. Yeah, he told me it was a Christmas movie about people that didn't wear shoes. That's true. It's totally true. Well, it's, it's about a person who didn't wear shoes on Christmas. And so I was hooked. And then he was like, now that you're a fan of Bruce Willis, let's watch The Roast. And The Roast was, was fine. But while I was watching The Roast, they were making fun of him for never doing any... Um, believable dramas at all and then i was like but that's not true he's in pose and he's he's so good (laughs) in pose i love him and then i realized who i thought was bruce willis in pose was christopher maloney and i just thought it was bruce willis with a hairpiece on not at all bruce willis (laughs) there was that i Um, was shocked that you thought that because you watch Law and Order SVU, as I do. Yeah, but I, I, it's I never watched the old ones. I only watched the new ones, so I haven't seen the old ones since they originally came out. Chung chung. And so I didn't connect it at all. And then I was at Battle for Mau Mau, which is like where, um, we all build these junk rafts. Lori Hensel, our boss, came with me, um, and we build these crazy floats, and then it's like, a junk battle in the water, right? What body of water are you not allowed to say? Oh, it's low-key. I can't say. But it's in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, So the Brooklyn waterway is taken over by homemade rafts. Yes. And I ended up doing um, mushroom tea and acid. So I was a little loose cannon when I got home. And I was exhausted because we had been, you know, on the water all day. And Camilla went out to another party. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm by myself. I'm going to watch Pose. I'll tell you, watching Pose on mushrooms seemed like a great idea (gasps) until everybody gets AIDS. Not everybody. Then I was just like at the end of my bed, like everybody gets so sick in the the 80s. I had to turn it off. That's true. And just like switch up to looking at the cat. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) things just got so intense for me. But Pose is the best show and I didn't hold my mushroom problems against it later that's good because pose is the best show (laughs) it's so good and i can't wait for the return that show is i'm living for all of it um i finished orange is the new block i am i would say four or five episodes in i love tasty so much and the end got me shook but i need to know what happened to Bo and yoga mom will they ever come back are they just gone right What is happening with all the people that didn't make it into that one jail? Maybe they'll do like the next season will be all the other people. Maybe. I'm because I was like, where are the other people that I love so much? But it's a really, really good season. I was hooked. I watched it real fast. 
Um, I had my third wedding. Mazel tov. Me and Camilo get married every year. And this time we did it at the Music Box Village porch um, exhibition, which was on Coney Island. It's some friends of mine um, in New Orleans from this New Orleans airlift. And uh, they have a village there that's all made out of instruments. So the whole, everything is playable. And then uh, people come and record there. And all the people, people can come and see the exhibition for free. And they did a little traveling thing. So they had a small... Smaller version, it was one giant, like, treehouse-looking thing. It was all playable, and that's where we did the wedding, and it was great. I love how interactive you are with the lively arts out I, in the world. I, I try to, I got to get out, you know, get my feet out there. Um, I've been watching The Sinner with Jessica Biel. I heard that's good. I have not watched it. I had not heard of it. Apparently, the second season is out, and that she's up for an Emmy. Um, It's fucking good. From the first season, I was like, oh, this is all right, and then... The murder happens, and I was like, I'm here for this. So that shit's got me. And I didn't tend to be a Jessica Biel fan. I never saw, um, what is that show she was most famous for? I have not seen her in anything. One Tree Hill or? Something like that. Something like that that was a very wholesome, not, Mm -hmm. not me on Mushrooms kind of show. So this was the first thing I've seen her in, and it was good. Then I saw that movie Heredity. Hereditary. Yes, hereditary. Meh. Uh, Meh, really? Literally, the only part that I thought was cool was when the mother was hanging upside down and she looked like Celine Dion when she was wearing that white tuxedo suit. <laughs> the, the backwards tuxedo suit. Yeah, that is literally the only part in the movie that I thought was decent. The special effects were really bad. Oh, no. Yeah, and it was I heard like, it was scary, and you weren't scared. Not at all. Not it's hard to remotely. scare you. Yeah, it was not very scary. I mean, it's like paranormal stuff so you can usually get me a little scared with like i had one jump scare in it okay but i would not suggest anybody watch it unless you're a big celine dion suit fan (laughs) (laughs) and that is what i've been watching excellent i would like to tell you what i've been watching but also i'm embarrassed about it oh god what is it okay so it all started with me listening to Jezebel's podcast, Dirtcast. Mm-hmm. Madeline Davies, the host of that show, has been on this very show. She's a joy. I love the Dirtcast. And a couple of weeks ago, she dedicated a whole episode to a show called Love Island, but it's a British reality show, so it's called Love Island. <laughs> it's this dating show where there's this tropical island and there's a villa on the island. I am not not much a fan of these dating shows, I'll tell you that. Right. I I normally am not either. And there's five sexy ladies and five sexy gents and they're all hetero and, and basic. waxed and basic. I would love to see one where it's people relatable. Right. You know, like many of them have tattoos someone. and piercings, but But they're still tribal basic. tattoos right. and nipple piercings. And whatnot. No shade. But semi-shade. They're not allowed to wear clothes. Basically, I mean, they wear clothes, but they're basically in bathing suits suits the the entire entire time. time. And they're caged like veal. And they just do different things to make them couple up. And then they break everyone up and make them couple up in different permutations the whole time. And they were just laughing about how the thing that makes it extra funny is that it's British. And that the people are really stupid and that in America we just like have this idea about how like upper crusty and intellectual and 
and cultured British people are. And so it's really funny to watch a dating show where they're like dumb as rocks, just like our dating shows, <laughs> but they all have these British accents. And I was like intrigued enough to try it because it was just sitting there on Hulu. So I started watching Love Island, Love Island episode one, and I got totally hooked and it's really, really stupid. And I'm literally laughing and enjoying myself watching people be stupid. Um, and I don't feel good about that. I don't feel like it's good for my personal brand or my soul or my integrity. <laughs> but like, you know, like they ha they make them, the girls come out and they each pick a guy and it's just based totally on looks. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the whole show sleeps in one big bedroom all together. And like, oh, hell no. once they're coupled up, they have to sleep in bed together as couples. Wait, everybody's in one room sleeping. So they're all trying to hold their farts. Yes. Ten people trying to hold farts. That sounds like a mess. And so, like, basically they're strangers, and it's like, I pick you, you look good. And they're like, okay, there's your bed. But they're all in one room together, so they're not, like, having penetrative intercourse, but they are kind of, like, snogging under the comforters and whatnot. And then, you know, like, a few days later, they'll be like, okay, now two people can switch. And then they'll be like, okay, now we're going to bring in two guys and – they're going to speed date a few two new guys and they're going to speed date a few people. And then whoever doesn't get picked by girls at the end of that has to leave the island. And then they do it again with like now we're going to bring in two extra girls. And then whichever girls don't end up coupled up by the end of that speed dating, then they have to leave the island. And these girls are like they've slept in the same bed with someone at the most seven days. Like they've known the person at the most for seven days. And they're like sobbing when they're being torn asunder from their couplehood. And it's like literally they've known the person days. It's shocking and appalling. And I can't get enough. And when <laughs> I'm watching it, my luscious research assistant comes in and I think he said something like, this show makes me want to end my life. And then he left. Sounds the same to me. So that I, can't, like my I can only watch it alone and even like when my cat Irv walks in and sees me watching it, I feel <laughs> ashamed. I'm embarrassed that Irv has seen me watch it. I've also watched a show because my luscious research assistant has been watching it that is equally dumb called Animal Miracles. Oh my God. This week on Animal Miracles. An English Mastiff rescued from years of abuse returns the favor to his human benefactor. <laughs> I was just very, very dizzy and very disoriented, shaking, sweating. It's a 2001 reenactment show hosted by Alan Thicke of Growing Pains fame. R.I.P. Please tell me that the reenactor actors are animals. The reenactor actors are animals. Oh, my God. So, like, okay. there'll be a story about, like, okay, my house was on fire and my dog woke me up and saved my life. And then the next story will be my house was on fire and my cat woke me up and saved my life there's a lot of houses on fire where a dog or a cat wakes you that up that happened in the chicken life. hunt the the building was on fire and val's cats woke her up and saved everyone's life i'm so glad yeah so there's a lot of that but sometimes it's not a fire sometimes it's something else sometimes it's like a heart attack on a walk and then the dog will like drag them drag the person to, and stuff. Yeah. but yeah so there's the person telling the story and then the actor playing the person telling the story and then there's the real animal and then there's the reenactor animal. Oh my god. Reenacting what happens. So then you have reenactor animals and then you also get to see the real animal that saved the person at the end. That's insane. 
it's trash. It's so cheesy, but it's also so cute to see reenactors. Well, you know I'm a sucker animals. for reenactors in general, right. animal or person. So animals, actor animals reenacting the heroism of non-actor animals is what is real the real draw for Animal Miracles, <laughs> and you can find it on Amazon Prime. Nice. Um, I watched a sexy movie, Ooh. a sexy Italian horror movie from 1963, is called The Whip and the Flesh. Oh. Or La Frustra e il Corpo, <laughs> which is the Italian title of it. This is also something else my luscious research assistant pulled up on Amazon Prime. Um, there's so much good, like, weird horror in there. Um, the, the premise is that the ghost of a sadistic nobleman terrorizes his family while attempting to rekindle his romance with his masochistic ex-lover who is married to his brother. Ghost sex. Right. Ghost sex. The sadistic nobleman is played by none other than Christopher Lee, who is... To this uh, I say who? He is the most famous uh, Dracula who's not Bela Lugosi. Oh, okay. And he's in many Hammer House of Horror films. Oh, okay. And you would recognize him if you saw him. And he's playing opposite a very buxom, corseted woman named Dahlia Lavi. And it's like, before he's a ghost... He comes home and she's like, leave me alone. I hate you. And then he like takes a, a whip and whips her mercilessly and her shirt comes off. And she's like, oh, that happens no, all the time. No, I hate you. And then she lays back on the rocks and they make sweet love on the beach. And <laughs> then like he mysteriously dies. And then that just keeps happening. But he's dead. And also other people in the family die. So she has a lot of shirts that are easily whipped off? Her, I cannot even How do you whip count? Her, of course it off. Well, she look, I, I'm thinking that she probably had like waist cinchers on, but not a full shirt corset so because he I'm whips doing the, the snap. Yeah, he whips the fuck out of her shirts and they come apart instantly. And then she's like, no, I hate you. I and hate you because you're costing me so much in clothes. <laughs> and her like, she's like heaving and, and hating him and wanting him to hurt her at the same time. And this is very like Italian 60s. I like, do love an Italian S&M 60s light. horror movie though. It was set like in the 1800s or something, but the makeup was strictly 60s. And I love it when they do that with like the big cat eye and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it was glamorous. It was non I don't know. The consent was gray area. Yeah, it but sounds they, like it. They showed her um, being so into it enough that it was like, well, that's it was a okay. That's dumb culture for you. But it depends on how you feel about ghost sex, I guess. If you're down with S and M ghost sex, try the whip in the flesh. <laughs> Have you watched Making It, the Crafty Show with Amy Poehler? No, I haven't. Uh, it's and on Nick some weird Offerman. channel, right? No, it's on NBC. Oh, I don't think I get NBC though. I watch it on Hulu. Oh, okay. And it's so good. And as you know, you're the crafty one of the two of us. You are crafty. I'm not. But I love this Facts. show. It's so well. They cute. just have such a cute. They're... I saw uh, clips of the first one, and like when they judge people, it's it reminds me of what you say about the British Bake Off. Yes, it's so gentle. Yeah, it's very cute. Oh, and the, I love watching creative people conquer creative challenges. And they do a lot of punning, and you know I love a pun. So much punning, so much crafting, so gentle. And 
Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler just goofing around, and it's a I'm delight. Here for it. Yeah. And that, my friend, is what I've been watching. Ooh. I would like to thank our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer. Oh, holy fucking balls. We forgot to, your beautiful voice has reminded me we forgot to RIP Aretha. Oh, my God. I would like to bring up the fact that Patti LaBelle ended the feud after Aretha Franklin died. I have news for you, Patty. Aretha ended that feud by dying. And I hope that one day Madonna can overcome the shade that has been thrown upon her when the VMAs asked her to eulogize Aretha on the, at the last second. Yeah, I mean, th- what were they thinking? That was dumb on them. They set her up to fail. It wasn't yeah. fair. But the queen is dead. The queen is dead. I love Aretha Franklin. Our, our lovely Rachel is not. Long live Rachel. Long live Rachel. <laughs> the greatest producer of all. Thank you, Rachel Withers. Also, I would like to thank our pals, Lally and Alec at 300 Entertainment and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can find me uh, via ZE <laughs> email, CallieWFBust.com. I'm Emily Rems at Bust.com. And you can find out more about Bust's giant 25th anniversary party at bust.com slash party. And, of course, you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Don't wait until we're deceased like Patti LaBelle waited until Aretha Franklin was deceased to, to squash their beef. Like, we want your <laughs> ratings and... And stars and reviews on iTunes now while we're alive and vital so we can read them and enjoy them. It really helps us get the word out and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time.